Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point, through the good times and the bad, and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on the podcast, I had James Madden, the owner of Flinders & Co., formerly known as Flinders Island's Meat. They've just rebranded the, the whole business. Like I say, it used to be Flinders Island's Meat, and they've just gone to Flinders & Co., so he talks all about that, talks about them being uh, very green, and one, I think it's the first carbon-neutral meat company in the world, talks about where Flinders Island is, some of the amazing produce and uh, some producers that they use, and some fantastic stories, yeah, and, and his opinion on where the but- where meat's going and being in that butchery world and a few wins and a few losses. So I hope everyone enjoys this conversation. It was really nice to sit down with James. He's a busy man, so I really appreciate his time. So yeah, hope everyone enjoys it. Over to the show. Let's do it. Right. Jim, yeah, you too, mate. Plenty, Finally. Yeah, plenty of emails and, and plenty of Instagram messages, but never yeah, met yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, do you wanna, obviously, I know who you are, but do you want to tell everyone who you are and what you do and who you work for? Or? Yeah, so... Um, my name's James Madden. I run a company called Flinders & Co., which is formerly known as Flinders Island Meat. Some people might know us by that. Um, and we are a, a meat company uh, in Melbourne. And we the majority of our business is working with, with the sort of higher-end restaurants uh, and pubs and, and establishments and cafes around Victoria. And that's what we do. We're, you know, we're ultimately a conduit between the farm and the chef. Yeah, nice. And we try and get those two as close to each other as we so can. So is that a wholesale distributor? Yeah, that, is correct. That, yeah, yeah. So Essentially, whole- we're a butcher. I mean, we, we try to – our um, pathway into this business is a bit different from most because most uh, meat distributors start out life as butchers or a little butcher shop down on the corner and, you know, they do a few restaurants and then they do a few get more and then they move to a bigger account. factory yeah, yeah. and it sort of gets bigger and bigger. But we started out on the farm. So I was born in Tassie. Dad's a farmer. And um, yeah, our, our heritage is is farming, and I guess that's allowed us to bring a slightly different viewpoint to the whole industry. That you know, there's one of the issues I, I see, and I know we're getting a bit deep early on, but one no. of the issues I see early on in my career was that there's a lot of silos happening across the supply chain. You know, from the farmer through to the abattoir through to the the, the boning room, through to the butcher, through the wholesale distributor, through to the chef and through to the diner. You know, everyone's sort of in a little silo or in a little bubble. Yeah. And hospitality is a great example. You know, chefs, you're, you're in a kitchen, which is a bubble yeah, in for itself. Sure. And then you're in a restaurant, which is a bubble. Then you're in a city, which is a bubble. And, you, you know, you try to connect to the land, but ultimately you're a long way away from it. And for me, growing up on the land, that's one of the things I enjoy doing the most is going into these bubbles and trying to, you know, open people's eyes sometimes. Because yeah. it's hard, you know. When you're in a kitchen 
And, you know, you might look on the internet, you might watch a few videos, but it, it can be hard to really get a grasp of what else is happening down the chain. And what are you, what, so what are you trying to tell them? What is what is the message that you're trying to get out there? Is it like respect the product? Is it like um, what how the animal's getting trapped, what the animal's feeding, the different styles of feeding, or look, what is the message? I, I think being a chef is a tough job, you know? Like there's so many things you have to manage. It's... From you know HR to to rosters to designing menus to actually cooking the stuff to managing your costs your overheads your, so many things that you've got to manage and and then you know you've got to compare suppliers you've got to figure out what's the best produce you've got to deal with produce that's maybe not in spec sometimes and all all of these sorts of things so it's a really hard job to do and I totally accept that. Um, I guess sometimes we just want to encourage chefs or, or try to demonstrate to them that not every not everything is peas in a pod. You know, not not everything all looks the same all the time. You know, yeah, animals okay. are different shapes and sizes, and we can grade them as well as we can. Um, but sometimes it's worth celebrating when things are a bit different. Yeah, you know, yeah. When things are shaped a bit left or right or a slightly different color, and and you know, grass fed beef's a great example. You can grade that as as tightly as you can and Cape Grim, which is one of the products we sell, is a great example of, of really topping grass fed beef. But if you compare it to grain fed, it's more variable. You know, there's yeah, just no yeah. doubt. And you know, that's some, because of the style of feeding, isn't yeah, it? It's well, not it's just, controlled it's, it's or the whatever. The nature yeah, yeah. of the product. You know, you, it's a seasonal product. You you're you're out dealing with the seasons. The grass is changing throughout the year. The temperature is changing throughout the year. The so biology they, they eat more when it's what yeah, hotter that's right. or and they go through the, the, cycles yeah, as yeah. well. And so, you know, when a piece of steak comes into the restaurant in January and it's slightly different to the piece of steak that comes in in June, instead of getting annoyed at that, you know, I think we should celebrate that as proof that you're getting what you're paying for. Yeah, it's a because great, if they yeah. were identical probably not grass-fed yeah you know, yeah and that's something to be aware of so yeah, that's, that's just a one little example of trying I, to open up people's minds no a that's a bit, great you know? example i guess as well for chefs is you wouldn't use peas in the winter let's say but yeah. you would still use meat in the winter or you yeah. still meat gets used throughout the year where you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't use specific vegetables throughout the year because they're not getting grown at that time yeah. or they are it's in poly tents or whatever it might be yeah. where the meat you just expect it that's right and, and look it it depends on the meat like lamb I feel like chefs are, are more flexible with, you know, you know, in spring lamb, it's going to be season. young and, yeah, yeah. and sweet and really pink. But my favorite time of year for lamb is, is late winter. And you probably similarly, you know, coming from the UK, that's when the lamb's got a bit of age on it. Yeah. It's getting close towards that hoggett sort of age. And you get this beautiful dynamic depth of flavor to it that you just don't get with spring lamb. You know, spring lamb's nice and delicate and light, but, Come 9, 10, 11, 12 months of age, the flavor in that lamb just goes to another level and it's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. And that's my favorite. And I think, yeah, with lamb, chefs seem to be a bit more open to that seasonality story. Whereas with, with grass-fed beef, sometimes, you know, they just want it perfectly the same every time. Mm, that's, that's, uh, I've, never, that's, I've never really looked at it that way as well, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great way. A great yeah, way so that, anyway, that's, that's who we are going off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. But we started out on a farm. Um, Do you think you get a little bit more um, respect from the other farmers being a farmer? Do you know what I mean? Or it, it, it allows us there. to jump between the – it's almost like different parts of the industry speak different languages. Yeah. So it's like 
being bilingual, I guess. We can speak different languages along the supply chain and we know the way farmers think and and what their you know issues are and, and pain points pressure points and now we understand we understand a bit better the way chefs think and you know i've just sort of tried to explain how i look at chefing and how hard a job it can be um and it is you know and understanding that is really important to be able to communicate with people who are in that situation. When you're talking about that bubble and whatnot, is there also cuts? Because that must be, I always think that must be a hard part of the, of the meat industry is everyone wants sirloin or scotch or fillet or or even brisket these days. Mm. But you've got, a, there's so much more in there to use up. It's interesting. Like I, I actually think it's a bit of a um, a myth sometimes, you know, that, that you need to, eat secondary cuts, you need to balance the carcass. I mean, the Australian meat industry is unbelievably good at selling everything off the carcass. Is it really? And I mean, every, not a single little hair goes to waste, literally yeah, yeah. everything. It's a global market, so different things will go to different markets around the world, but everything's got a home and everything gets used for something productive. So while I think it's it's good to look at other cuts and other products to broaden your culinary experiences, it's not necessarily um, beneficial from a, a, a sustainability perspective because we're already using 100% of the carcass. Yeah, okay. So there's not a big... That doesn't really rate super high on my sort of priority list. Yeah. Um, but definitely for people who are willing to think outside the box, there's a lot of really cool cuts and products mm. to try that are maybe not as accepted in, in our sort of Anglo-Saxon. Yeah, yeah. You know. but there's always ways to get rid of them. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah, it a, is. That's... It, and it blows my mind. Like when you go into a beef abattoir, I mean, there's probably, there'd have to be 500 products Jesus. of one animal off one beast and I've just pulled that number out of my ass but yeah, there's, yeah. to there's illustrate a there's a lot yeah yeah you know there's there's a, an abattoir in uh, Victoria um, that I've been to and one of the things that they capture are I think they're kidney stones yeah far out yeah kidney stones and there are there's only like one in a hundred yeah, animals yeah, yeah. but they're very very valuable in China so they even capture the kidney stones bloody hell and send them to China as sort of traditional medicine so every little thing That's gets awesome. captured and it's great to see you know it sort of makes you go that is fucking ingenious yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so where where is Flinders Island so Flinders Island is where our I guess where our business started yeah it's halfway between Victoria and Tasmania. If you think of, if, if you can imagine the map of Tassie, it's got two eyebrows, yep. which are the two islands above it. King Island's on the left, which is famous for its cheese, cheese and its beef. Yeah. And then Flinders Island is on the right, which has always been more of a lamb um, island, I guess. There's a bit of a rivalry between the two as well. So, yeah, one day, I mean, Dad had um, been working in, Melbourne in the meat industry for probably 10 years. He'd made that jump already, something different. And he heard, he wanted to start his own business and he heard about this abattoir on Flinders Island that had been shut down and, you know, sort of left to, to rot, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he, he went down there and he had a look at it and he decided to buy it and he thought that, I think he thought that it was going to be like his get-rich-quick scheme. Like this was his big break. Like he, it, it was an undervalued asset. There was, 
He was going to be able to buy all the animals from the farmers really cheap because he was going to be right there at their doorstep and then sell the meat for massive dollars and be a super rich man. <laughs> we all know that never yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, the reality is it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a get-poor-quick scheme. Yeah. And that's what we realize abattoirs in general are. They're very difficult businesses are to they? run. Yeah, because they're very capitally intensive, very expensive to build and lots of equipment. And it's a, it's a factory that's dealing with a seasonal variable product. You know, you're, you, if you're making widgets, okay, you can sort of control that. You know you can pump out 10,000 widgets a day and you can work out exactly what your costs are for each component and it all yeah. makes sense. But with animals, every animal's different. Every season is different. The markets are free markets, so the price fluctuates. There's a lot of variability, so it's, it can be a difficult business. And so I think what he found was, well, I don't think I know that he found that it was not quite as advertised in his head. So he asked me to come and join the business. And what were you doing? Uh, I was working in event management at that time, oh. but I I'd got my pilot license and I was planning to become an airline pilot. Mm. So he came and he said, look, I need your help with this business. And I was 21. And I was about to go traveling for six months. And I said, Dad, I'm not interested. Like, I'm going traveling. You've made your bed. Now you've got to sleep in it, old boy. You know, like too bad. And so he wasn't too pleased with that, as you can imagine. He said, look, if you come on board, I'll give you half the business and we'll go partners. And I was pretty ruthless when I was young, but I was like, Dad, your business isn't worth anything. Like, why would I want 50% of something that's worth nothing that's going broke? So he really wasn't happy when I said that. Yeah. But then he said, look, okay, my final offer, if you come on board, you can have half the business and you can be the boss. You can be the CEO. And, yeah, my 21-year-old ego Ego, just went... How good am I? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I can visualize the business card right now. So, So I said to him, I was like, so that means you would have to do everything I tell you to do. And he said, yes. I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. Let's give it a go. This will be interesting. Yeah. So... Ever since that day, I mean, our father-son dynamic is a bit backwards yeah. in some ways. Um, there'll be times, you know, where um, you know he is my father, and then there'll be other times where he's one of my employees. Yeah, and yeah. I've got to be like, Dad, come in, let's have a chat. You know, we, <laughs> this was not acceptable, okay? <laughs> and it's a bit weird. Anyway, um, so yeah, the first thing that I did when I came on board was probably send the business towards bankruptcy even faster than it was going. Because I had no idea what I was doing, but yeah, of course I, I thought I knew everything. And um, I guess what led to us going down the path from being Flinders Island Meat to becoming Flinders & Co. So Flinders Island Meat right now is an abattoir, is that what we're saying? At this point it's an abattoir? In the story, yes. Yeah, in the story, yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. obviously, yeah. Where the abattoir on Flinders Island, we had a butcher shop over there, so we supplied all the And at this point you're Flinders Island Meat. Yep, Flinders yeah. Island Meat. Yeah. Um, uh, but one of the issues that we had was we couldn't really find a good distributor or butcher who wanted to sell our lamb in Melbourne. They all thought it was too expensive. The story was too wanky. You know, they probably thought oh, I was a dickhead, you know, he's a young startup, cocky yeah. guy. So um, they didn't, none of 
you know, those companies who are now our competitors, none of them wanted to touch it. So out of desperation, I just went, fuck, all right, I'm going to have to go around and, and start knocking on doors. Mm. So I moved back to Melbourne. I went around literally with a cooler bag full of wallaby and lamb because we were doing wallaby as well. Yeah. And the first customer that wrote back to me was Shannon Bennett. Vudamont. I sent out this big email to all the top chefs and he was the first one that wrote back. He said, come in. And so I remember like the first time I went up that elevator, like takes forever to get to the top. Uh, the first time I rolled in, he, uh, his head chef stood me up. He wasn't there. I was like, fuck. <laughs> Man, like this is my big break <laughs> yeah. and he's not even here. All he's sweating for no yeah, reason. Yeah, shit. <laughs> So anyway, or he was there, but he wouldn't see me for what? Anyway, so yeah. I go away and, and and end up getting another appointment and come in and he's there and and I'm actually great friends with him now. Um, but we sh- showed Shannon and, and Corey, who was the head chef at the time, um, the product, and it was Corey that stood me up, not Shannon. Yeah, Corey can deal with it. <laughs> um, anyway, so show him the product and they loved it and they put it on straight away and that got us on the map. And then Jacques Ramon put it on his menu. Nice. Ben Shuri put it on his menu and, and it's sort of, we got a got bit, a bit of, momentum. of momentum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so- That's uh, the goal though, isn't it? If for someone that's out there, is to go out there and try and get into somewhere top end. Don't almost start fighting at the bottom. Try and go quite high. You can leverage their name, right? That's the yeah, reality. Yeah, well, that's and it. they're always looking for something different. Yeah, for, definitely. They're looking for the, are a point of difference for themselves. Yeah. And I think that's what- what they liked about our product was no one else had it. Yeah. We did a very similar thing as well with Peter Voucher. Oh, yeah, We yeah, got Peter yeah. Voucher Pete's really, awesome. uh, really early, day or yeah. early days and then, you know, used his name to get yeah. into other places. And that's what everyone does. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't no, think, you know, absolutely. you say, if it's good, because a lot of people say, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough yeah. for me. You know what I mean? And don't be afraid to aim high. Yeah, like, exactly. 100%. Go for it. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Definitely. So we... Yeah, we, we got those guys on and then we started to get a bit more momentum. So we started building more restaurants. We had to get some storage space. At this point, we were still flying meat over from Flinders Island. So it would come on a plane once a week. The plane would land. I'd unload the plane, put all the boxes in this busted-ass meat van that I bought for about 600 bucks. Yeah. It was like something out of Wolf Creek. It was just <laughs> horrific. <laughs> And that's that's for all the chefs that you know have been with us from the early days. That's why the deliveries sometimes were late because you know it was basically like a crank start. It was that old <laughs> topping up with oil. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. No. Anyway, so I'd go out and do all the deliveries, and we slowly grew that um, to a point where we actually had another producer of chickens, free range chickens from the Barossa come to us and say, "Look, I can't find a distributor. Do you want to distribute our chicken?" And I thought, well. As long as it's in line with our sort of philosophy and ethos of what we do on Flinders, then why not? Yeah. And so that's, to cut a long story short, that's what happened. We we sort of went, okay, let's do that. And then we went, well, maybe we should sell some beef. And what about Wagyu? And what about duck? And, you know, what about pork? And that started us on a journey of discovery, of opening our eyes to all these other industries that we'd never been um, exposed to. We were just lamp. That's all we knew was yeah. land. So, you know, fast forward to say six months ago, we were distributing Cape Grim beef, Robins Island Wagyu, Rosedale Ruby grain fed. We had Borrowdale free range pork at that time. We, we had Nichols chicken. We had lots of really good top end brands. We just started building out our Flinders Select brand, which is sort of our 
our in-house brand that carries the ethos of what our company believes but without the bells and whistles of a top-end brand, if that makes Beef sense. Beef or ev- anything? Everything. Oh, yeah. everything. So right, it's okay. just a more approachable price point. We And to give you a good example of what Flinders Select means to me is um, for our Flinders Select pork, we don't use free range but we don't use something that's raised in a shed inside with no sunlight packed into cages on, on you know, a... a a metal floor, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. We use something that's in between. They're outside, they're in an eco shelter, they have access to range, you know, they're on straw, they've got plenty of sunlight. It's it's a one big shed with lots of room to move around. We've been there and visited it. We feel a lot better about that than the next level down. You know, the reality is you need that middle product. Yeah, that's you right. You need it because, yeah. you know, there is people out there, there's restaurants out there that want to support that and, mm. and support the free range and support everything but they're just their market their clientele don't doesn't hit that yeah. you know they can't get the $55 a main cost so they need to be looking at more like thirty seven fifty. Yeah. so where are they going you know so to have that middle product is, is I think that's a great option for oh, people and it's it's also a good way for us to champion those producers that are you know more in that commodity space but are pushing the boundaries of that you know you've got your free range that sort of sit right up at the top of the tree then you've got your commodity guys underneath that but what who are the commodity guys that are trying to do better yeah yeah yeah. to think about and you know st bernard's pork is a great example of a company where they the majority of what that company does the parent company's rivoli they're the biggest pork producer in Australia, right? They supply Woolworths, Coles, everyone. And they have this little pilot project, which is St. Bernard's Free Range. But what I love about St. Bernard's Free Range and what I love about Rivoli is they're using what they're learning in St. Bernard's Free Range and applying parts of that back to their conventional pork business. Yeah. So one of the things they realized was that pigs don't need to be in a shed 24-7 with no sunlight in small crates, metal crates with their movement restricted. They actually grow faster if the shed's got nothing inside, if it's just an open sort of space. And then they actually don't need metal gratings. They can just put down straw that's soft bedding and and replace that periodically. And then, then they realize, they're like, hang on a sec, the, the free-range pigs are growing faster than the indoor pigs. Yeah, it's yeah. completely backwards to what they so had more, always thought. It's more cost effective. Yeah, so they thought we need to think about how we could do this the other way around. So they, they did some trials and they literally took the walls off one side of these big sheds and put little pens out the side yeah. so the pigs could go outside as well. And I just, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, if that's not a metaphor of breaking down the walls of an yeah, industrialized yeah, yeah. system, I don't know what is. No, that, you know, exactly. And they're not, they're trying to learn, aren't they? Do you yeah, know what I mean? They're that's open what to it. They're that's open right. to it, yeah. exactly. Which, yeah. you know, so, so that's where the change came when you started using other products. Is that yeah, what you're so, saying? So, so six months ago in the story, um, we, we had all of these other products we were doing, you know, I guess we supply on a, a monthly basis around 200 restaurants around, around Victoria. Uh, but we were still called Flinders Island Meat and there was a misalignment there. You know, We were selling lots of brands that weren't from Flinders Island, but our company name was still Flinders Island Meat. And I'd been working for probably oh, 18... I, I knew 18 months bef- 
So let's rewind two years from today. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. Two years ago, I knew that we needed to change our company name because it didn't make any sense. Um, and so I started on this process of trying to figure out who the fuck we were going to be <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. and yeah. what our purpose it's quite, was. It's just scary as well because oh, you've, totally. built, you've built yeah. this reputation. It's like imagine yeah, you going sure. from City Larder to something totally different. Oh, for sure. Know? I'd be terrified because, yeah. you know, you're thinking the customers aren't going to grab it. It's terrifying. Yeah, that's 100%. right. So Even to change the branding. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Keep the name but change the branding. Yeah. You're still thinking, are they not going to be familiar with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. 100%. That's right. So we... We came up with this brand. We have a graphic designer that we work with and, and him and I worked together for about six months and we came up with this brand. We had Flinders & Co, which which I always liked because it was Flinders is our origin story and the Anco is all the great people along that supply chain we work with. Um, and we came up with this logo, which was like really old worldy, like a coat of arms almost. And it's beautiful logo. But after six months, I was sitting there with the graphic designer and I was looking at it with him and we were almost signing off on it. And I was just looking at it and I said, Damo, mate, we haven't done this right. There's something wrong with this logo. And he sort of looked at me. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought we was all good. I was like, mate, it's not us. I think we need to, I don't think I've gone deep enough here. I think we need to start again. And poor Damo, he's he done like, like six oh. months' work on this fucking logo. And he's like, what What? What are you talking about? And then, but then he realized like Damo gets paid by the hour. So it's yeah. not so bad for him after all. <laughs> so he goes, oh, okay, maybe you know, we, can, we can take a look at it. And, but what I realized, and this is true of any business, I think, is that we'd gone about it, ass about. A brand to me is the pretty face of a business. Yeah. And it's the physical manifestation of the heart and soul of the business. And if you haven't really understood and defined what the heart and soul of your business is, it's very difficult to design a brand that reflects that. And so we designed a brand that was really pretty, but we hadn't really thought about what the heart and soul of our business was. And I'd done a lot of reading, a lot of research and tried to learn as much as I could. And and what I realized was that we needed to really define what the purpose of our business was. Why does Flinders & Co. exist? You know, what, what do we want to achieve? And one of the questions that I asked myself that really got me thinking was, you know, when I look back, when I one day retire and look back on my career, what do I want to be able to say that I've done? And it's a, a legacy question, you know. And for most people in the meat industry, unfortunately, it's to sell lots of meat you know, and just tons and tons and tons and pump the production and, you know, took beat your it, chest, yeah, yeah. you know. Took it from it, five to 50,000, yeah, yeah, whatever. it's really yeah. macho and yeah. um, it's all about growth, growth, growth. And I sort of thought about that. I was like, fuck, that just doesn't really grab me. I thought there's got to be something more to it than that. And so that was about, you know, then three months of thinking about, well, what the fuck is it then? Yeah. I don't know if that's yeah, not yeah. it, what is it? But I found a sort of, a source of truth in in the origin of our business, a little nugget that we sort of stumbled on and, and realized, I guess, when we were going through this process of trying to define what was the purpose of our business and what do we want to achieve in 5, 10, 20 years. And we went through a lot of iterations. We had all the staff involved in it because I thought that was really important. Um, and it took a good six months, but eventually we came to a, our current company vision 
And what we settled on was that Flinders & Co's company vision would be to cultivate a better food world. And there were a few reasons for that. The first was we realized it was something that we'd always been trying to do but never really put it into as many words. Yeah. You know, on Flinders Island, we'd always been about traceability and provenance and animal welfare and the story and terroir of the product. And uh, we'd always had quite strong principles around what we did there. The second reason um, was it, it, it's a challenge. You know, like it sounds interesting. I was like, fuck. I don't know how to do that, yeah, but yeah. it's going to be interesting trying to figure it out. At least you've got a path. Yeah, yeah. And you've got something to focus on. Yeah, You're like, yeah. okay, that, that, that gives extra meaning to my day-to-day work yeah, instead exactly. of just get another restaurant, get more customers, get more, more, Numbers, more, more, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. how can we actually make a positive impact as well? And then the third reason was more strategic. You know, it was I'd done a lot of research around consumers and specifically millennials because I am one. And so I can identify with them a bit more easily, I feel, than the baby boomers or the other generations. Yeah. And, you know, what kept coming up was that millennials are really um, conscious of the world around them, more so than any other Definitely. generation That's before a, them. For they, sure. They think globally. Yeah. Um, they, they seem to be less driven by the, you know, that sort of 80s model of corporate growth and greed you know like it's getting disgusting isn't it yeah, yeah people think yeah. it's disgusting it's yeah old, for sure yeah. yeah and so inequality I, and all that kind of right. thing 100 percent. and so um they and, and they they are willing to vote with their wallets you know they are willing to vote and support businesses that they believe in um and that align with their morals so i thought that's the space we need to play in there's not that many other meat companies going for that target market. You need a point of difference as well, for sure. Yeah, that's right. 100%. So we came up with... But not in a gimmicky way, is it? It's in a a real way. Do you know what I mean? No, that's right, because millennials, like the research shows, they're very savvy. They're more savvy than any generation before them. They've had access to information. They were born with the internet and that, weren't they? Yeah. no one else they've had access to information. So they're savvy. They know how to to learn, but they're also very... Uh, they have a great bullshit detector. Mm. I like to put it that way. Yeah. You know, they can smell a rat. And if you're not as advertised, you're, it's game over. Yeah. Forget and about once it. You, once that happens once, it's finished. Yeah, yeah, it? that's it. It's so finished. you, if you're going to say something, you got to fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when we launched Flinders & Co. Cultivate a Better Food World. I was like, the first thing I sort of had to admit when we launched this brand, and we had a, an event, an industry event, one of the things I admitted at the event was oh, I've got no fucking idea how to actually do that. I don't mm. know how to cultivate a better food world. And it means something different to every different person. But I said, we're going to try and figure it out. We'll get it wrong a lot of the time, but we're going to try and get it right as well. And we came up with a framework of how we think we want to take that you know, big fluffy statement and sort of chunk it down into very real in the projects chapters. and yeah, things yeah, yeah. that we're doing from something as small as changing the paper that we use in our office to be carbon neutral and from regenerative forests to something as big as, you know, changing our pork supplier or, or going completely carbon neutral as a company. So they're, they're, they're actual projects where we prove that we're doing 
you know, we're walking the walk yeah, yeah. as well. And that was very important. So like, like you say, you've, you have gone carbon neutral. First first meat company to go. Yeah. So we had I had this idea that, well, it wasn't really my idea, that the MLA, which is the Meat and Livestock Association of Australia, they're the industry body for beef and lamb, for everything in that industry. They made a commitment a few years ago that the entire industry would become carbon neutral by 2030. Yeah. And they did that without having any fucking idea how to get (laughs) there. Whack. Just hit this out there. You know what? I was like, I was like, bravo. You've you've got to set a goal and you figure it out as you go. On the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I appreciate that. I mean, they had a pretty good idea how to get get there, but they didn't have all the. Put it out there and let's try and get there. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Because. So so I heard about that. I was like, right, well, we're going in that direction anyway. And that's going to be a great point of difference for the Australian meat industry on a global scale. You know, what other meat industry can claim their products carbon neutral? Nobody. So I thought this is where it's going. It aligns with what we're doing as a company. Our staff were really behind it. They were really keen to do it. But when we first went down the path of exploring it, all I was thinking was that, you know, we'll get carbon neutral for our business in Melbourne. You know, and for City Larder, it'd be carbon neutral for your production kitchen yeah. and, and your delivery vans and that's it. Yeah. You know? um, and so we did that analysis. We had a consultant come in and measure our footprint and sort of to go carbon neutral, basically you need to reduce your emissions as much as you can. And then once you've done that, so one of the things we did, for example, was we switched to renewable energy. That was a simple one. And it actually saved us money. <laughs> Fucking duh. Yeah. Why didn't we do that in, anyway? Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, there's always going to be emissions you can't avoid, right? 100%. Like the delivery vans, they use diesel, yeah. et cetera. So, um, to, so you have to put back You have in, to offset those, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. what offsets basically mean and – we have copped a bit of flack in the past from some of our competitors saying that we cheat by buying offsets, but we have to um, because essentially what an offset is, is you are investing in a project that reduces or removes carbon from the atmosphere. Right? So like a wind farm? Yeah, or correct. Or it's like fa- another... F- an, uh, forest? Well, another great example of one of these projects that we've invested in is it's called a life straw project and it's in Kenya. They basically have these handheld water filtration devices that they provide to a lot of the poorest families in Kenya that can't afford, you know, purified water. water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they, they provide these life straws um, to those families and we help pay for those life straws by buying these offsets. But the way that that generates offsets from that project is that those families don't need to burn wood or coal to boil their water to purify it. Yeah, They put it through the purifier. They just put it through the purifier. Yeah. And, and when you multiply that out across thousands and tens of thousands of families, that's actually a lot of carbon emissions going up. A lot of trees getting cut down, a lot of coal getting dug up just to boil water. Yeah, It makes sense at the end of the day because you can't cut yours out all, everywhere no, no way do you know yeah. yeah that's right so you're gonna have to but by helping that it's pretty yeah. logical I, well I, at, from an atmospheric perspective it makes no difference yeah you know if whether i cut my emissions to zero or i 
pay someone to take carbon out of the atmosphere, it's the same net effect. And yeah, that's yeah. what's important. As long as you're trying as well, like going to recycle paper and you know, you're yeah, yeah. doing your bit Other as things. far as much as you exactly. can. Yeah, it makes exactly. sense. So we, that was the plan. We'd just be our business in Melbourne, our delivery vans, you know, what we do. And the consultant actually said to us, why don't you look at doing that for all of your meat products? Why don't you actually look at becoming the first to do carbon neutral meat? I was like, fuck, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. But it also sounds expensive, right? <laughs> so I was like, so you're talking about like the actual animal. Like we would we would essentially have to offset all of the carbon and methane that would be emitted from that cow from birth right through every movement of the tractor on the farm, then the truck to the abattoir, everything that happens at the abattoir, right through to our door and then to the to the to the restaurant. And the consultant was like, yeah. He's like, but I've got an idea. Let me let me hey, go man, away with yeah. it for a month and I'll come back. And he went away with it and he came back and he'd figured it out. He basically looked at every kilo of meat we sold between beef, chicken, lamb, duck, everything. And there's all of these scientific studies that are out there in the academic literature that have measured the footprints of different production methods, right? Yeah. So he took about the five... Um, there, there was about five grass-fed beef in southern Australia academic studies that had measured the carbon footprint of taking a beef from birth, a, a, a beast from birth right through to, to death, table, and then basically yeah. to us. Yeah, and he took the average of the results of all those studies, and he said, "Right, that's the number. That's what you got to offset." And it was a big number. It wasn't as big as I thought, which was good. Um, but we actually went to some of our suppliers like Cape Grim, like St. Bernard's yeah. and said, look, we want to do this. Will you come on board and you know chip in a bit of cash to help us pay for some of these offsets? And they said, yes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was really good. It was a bit of an experiment for them too to yeah, see yeah. what the feedback, customer feedback would be. Um, and so, yeah, then the 1st of December, which was the worst time we could have launched it, because it's Christmas, no one wants to know. The media doesn't care. Like there's all yeah, this yeah, other shit going send me, on. Yeah. Send me the stuff. I want to sell it. Yeah, but yeah. for me, it was very important to do it on the first of December because at the end of August we had launched a new brand, and I thought that we had a three month grace period between saying something and then doing something. Yeah. We had to show that we were walking the walk. And so yeah, I I. I couldn't find another company, another meat company in the world that had done it. I still can't. No one's called me out on it. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to so run go- with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going with it. With it. Yeah. But really, it's nice to have that point of difference. But I don't want to have it for long. You know, I would be yeah, much more, more, more happy. Get involved. Yeah, yeah, I'd be yeah. much happier if all our competitors got on board, all our customers, all our suppliers got on board with it because, you know, it's it's a problem and I think it's a problem that, we can't rely on big business or government to fix. Yeah. And I think time's proven that. And do you think we're getting more conscious consumers? There's no two ways about it. And Mm. you're saying the millennials are more open to that kind of thing. But, you know, the millennials aren't just, there's a lot of beyond that. Do you know what I mean? Do you think, are they starting to part with the money? Especially in... um, in butcher shops and whatnot we're talking about, but then I th- in restaurants, are, are you finding that chefs are, are getting more involved in it than maybe the younger chefs? Because, you know, the, them chefs that were 
you know, 10 years ago were 35, now are 45, maybe going on 50, and they're looking to slow down the young mm. generation of head chefs. You know, you've got the likes of Loom with John and um, uh, Voodamont yep. with Hugh, these young young yep. characters that are coming through. Are you finding oh, that mate, they're more they're, interested they're into in it? it. And, yeah. and look, if you, if you go beyond millennials to the next one, which is Generation Z, I think, you take whatever number you, you have, like for example, 75% of millennials are prepared to pay a bit extra for produce that's sustainable, right? They'll, they'll part with, it might be an extra cent, it might be an extra dollar, it might be an extra $10 for, for a product that is more environmentally responsible. And that's been measured in studies. You take that to Generation Z, it goes up. Yeah. So every measure that you look at this stuff with on a millennial um, level, you go to Gen Z and they're higher. You know, they're even more globally conscious and so more what, aware. So are you finding that the restaurants, I guess that question was a bit fucking convoluted really, but the, the, <laughs> the fact is that the, the chefs are getting younger, yeah. but yet in butcher shops, the like are they the people that were buying from the butcher shops are they they're not getting any younger I just feel like the, the, the that generation is still eating out effectively the restaurants and all that are still eating out they haven't maybe yet they're just starting to have babies and they're coming through where mm. it's more the older generation is still going to the butcher shops do you know what I mean it's a bit it's like, funny like there's a story we we put a post on Facebook probably for him uh, no it was just just in December actually and I promoted it on Facebook. And I didn't, I mustn't have done a very good job of targeting the audience because I thought we'd get a heap of positive feedback, you know, world's first carbon neutral, completely carbon neutral yeah, meat yeah. company. I went for all the pats on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was like negative comment after negative comment after negative comment. And um, one of my favorite comment was one of the, the commenters said, this is just a complete load of old fanny. Yeah. I was like, what's what's a load of old fanny? What's wrong with an old fanny? There's nothing wrong with that. Is that a comment? Is that a positive or a negative? Anyway, so, but what I found was with that uh, Facebook um, promotion that I'd done, all of the negative comments came from two, two types of people. And I don't like to classify people into groups mm -hmm. very much, but they were from these two groups. So it's, it's reality. It is what it is, yeah. First group was vegans, um, which you know you could probably see coming. I'd probably prefer that they attack the meat companies that are doing the wrong thing yeah. rather than the ones trying to do the right thing. But anyway, that's in their mind. You'll take all it, meat yeah. companies are bad. Yeah, yeah. And the other group um, that really had a crack at us were old white men, and they're the climate change skeptics or yeah, deniers. Yeah, don't believe in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I thought that was very interesting and, and it literally, like you could look at their photos and they're grey-haired white guys from Australia yeah, and so, yeah. okay, there's a pattern here. And I, I don't read into it too much but I, I would dare say because I haven't looked at the statistics but those older generations, there are still plenty within those generations that are millennially minded, that will have millennial-like traits but there are also more of them that don't yeah, compared yeah. to millennials, right? So there's more of them that will not give a shit about a sustainable product that really don't care about oil or climate change or whatever. Or maybe they do care a little bit, but just not as much as the next yeah. generation. So I guess that's an interesting point from a demographic view, but from a functional view, you know, we don't actually speak directly to the end consumer. 
same as you, yeah, right? Yeah, There's yeah. a gatekeeper in between what we do and and what the consumer experience is, which is the retailer or the restaurant. And we're still trying to figure out the best way to get this story working in restaurants. We haven't quite nailed that yet. Uh, we've got lots of chefs that are really interested in it, in telling the story of carbon neutral. But you know, sometimes people get confused. They'll be like, "Oh, so does that mean that you know? Does that include the methane? Like, did you stop the cows from farting? Or yeah. like, what yeah, is it? Yeah, Have they got yeah. a bag attached to the back of them to yeah. capture all the? How does it work? Just someone going on with a lighter. <laughs> yeah, are you ready? Right. Got to burn off the <laughs> yeah. methane. So it's it. That's been good learning for us. Like I thought it would just be like that. Everyone will put carbon neutral meat on their menu. Yeah. It Has it got a brand? Has it got like a, the carbon neutral thing? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a logo. logo. Yeah, 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 like yeah, a logo. Because yeah, you know the fish one, there's the fish yep, one and all the rest right. of it. Rockpool were big on all that yeah, when I was there. Yeah, totally. But it's that's where we're at now. We're trying trying to get this recipe right of giving chefs the right thing they can use in the restaurant to use it as a point of difference to yeah. diners. I think the restaurant is a, is an easy... Look, I don't know. I'm just talking here. Like, I think the restaurant's an easier sell, to be honest with you. Really? I do, I do. I think it is. Than a butcher shop, personally, I don't know. Just mm. like, just with the fact of like... Like my dad, I have this conversation all the time and he's, he's bald, but he's the old... You know, he's not that into... The carbon footprint and yeah, all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. more. But we were having this big debate the last time they were here, and I, he was saying, "I don't mind paying more as long as it tastes better." Yeah, like he's not that interested That's about right. the, the carbon you and all that. So he says, "I don't." So the, it's getting them apart with the cash and appreciating the flavor. But then you put in the. Well, in my dad's case, and I guess a lot of that age generation, you put in a lot of that. Uh, pressure on the wife mm. that's the reality you know to cook well, to cook at night do you know what I mean that's like, right and, and, and the reality is they're also the ones making the majority of the consumer decisions yeah is yeah, the yeah. Wife, yeah, yeah 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 so exactly. they do have the pressure on them yeah but it's a great point like lots of good feeling uh, certifications or accreditations do not necessarily translate to quality and ultimately the consumer judges a product ultimately on the quality like yeah. city larder you know yeah great brand yeah great story if you if you train shit i'm not buying it yeah Too yeah bad. exactly no, you've I got to care. see it to the end don't yeah you? that's right yeah, and that's, i mean organic a great example is organic beef and organic beef has never taken off in restaurants like we don't sell any organic beef yeah. i don't see any chefs using organic beef and the sad reality is because the vast majority of organic beef that australia produces is from the interior parts of the country that are so marginal that it doesn't make economical sense to put anything on them, on that country. Right? Oh. There's no fertilizer, there's nothing, there's no improvements to the pastures. They just put these cattle out there, which are really hardy, tough cattle, not your yeah. Angus. Like yeah. These are like your Indian, they call them drought masters, some of them. <laughs> they're like really tough, hardy cattle. And they're out on these massive stations and they're organic by nature because there's nothing they're else out, out there. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so then you get the meat from these animals. And I'm not – there are some producers that actually do quite good organic beef. But the, as a generalization, this is true, that the quality isn't as good. Mm. And so you put the product on the shelf. It costs twice as much. Um, it's got the organic badge. But when people eat it, they – don't have a great experience sometimes. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons organic has never really taken off because you don't have that quality behind it. You know, if you're going to pitch at the high end with your your product claims, you've got to, and that's f for any farmer, either any producer, mm. 
if you want to go to the high end, you got to back that shit up yeah, with exactly. really good quality. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's talk about some of the some of the pro, the supplies that you do use. Yeah. Correct me if I is it Nichols chickens? Yeah, Nichols. They're they're from Tasmania. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, they were a really easy um, alignment with our brand. Mm. You know, they they've got a, a wind farm, well, a wind turbine on site at oh, the chicken farm that nice. does half of their power. They're building another one, which will be all of their that power. That must have been easy for your car. Yeah, I was yeah. like, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. You guys giving me ideas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Rob Nichols is a farmer down there and and the I guess the problem with pork and chicken, and I know that we discussed this a little while ago, is that there's been a lot of bastardry of this free-range term you know it's same with eggs you know free range eggs cage eggs and then barn laid and what are the rules and for a long time there were yeah yeah. for a long time there were no rules really or the rules were a bit you know vague or the big companies sort of had a bit of control over the rules and tweaked them to suit themselves and so what you find now is that and rob nichols was a, a chicken is a chicken farmer in tassie he looked at these free-range rules and he sort of went, that's bullshit. And he goes, that's not free-range. Just because you put a door on the side of a shed and the chickens can go outside doesn't mean they do. Yeah. And doesn't make it free-range. If there's, you know, the majority of the chickens in the shed never actually go out that door, is it free-range? And he thought, no. I, I think He thought there's a better way to do this and there's a better quality to be had by actually getting the chickens outside. So he's so forcing them out. Yeah, basically. Get them out there. Yeah. He has these mobile sheds. I was like me on a weekend at my mum's house. She'd be like, get out. <laughs> it's like your kids when they turn 18. You're like, get the hell out of here. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he's got these mobile sheds. They take them around a paddock. Um, the the chickens, they prefer dawn and dusk. During the height of the day, they tend not they tend to stay under the eaves. So mm. the sheds sort of open up like this with these eaves on them. And um but they go out in the pasture, they furrow for bugs and yeah, you know, worms insects and, whatnot, and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. and they exercise. This is the key point. They get the muscles move get their the legs. Muscles going, yeah. And that's, you know, with any meat, that is one of the key indicators of, of flavor. It's how much is the animal exercised. And that's the same with cuts as well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, as a rough and ready rule, the more an animal uses a muscle, the tougher it will be, but the more flavor the you will get. The flavor, yeah, totally. for sure. So with chicken, you know, they don't move, so they're very tender, but they have no flavour. You know, you you have a Coles chicken, yeah, nothing yeah. against Coles. If you have a Coles chicken... A lot chicken, against Coles, but yeah, go on. <laughs> You're not really getting a lot of flavour from it, but you have a, a Nichols chicken or a, a Summer Lad chicken. You yeah, they're Summer Lad. Milking Yard chart. Farm Yeah, chicken. Milking Yard Farm, they're yeah. off the chart. And that's just... Like you, you realize you've never actually tasted yeah. chicken. Before. You need a crowbar to take the legs yeah. off them milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're off the fucking yeah. hell. Them Amazing. things are unbelievable. Yeah. They're like dinosaurs yeah. trying to. Br- <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it when I first got on yeah, them. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But it's, you know, and you look at Spain jumping to pork now. Um, the, the traditional farmers of the Iberico pigs over there. The acorn fed. The acorn fed. Yeah. They. One of the things that they do is they force the pigs to move a certain amount every day, oh. you know, from area to area, and they they because they know that if they exercise, yeah. they get flavour. And when you're aging a prosciutto, tenderness is not necessarily your number one consideration yeah, yeah, it's because gonna, it's, it's going to be anywhere, sliced yeah, in anyway. Exactly, it's all about that flavour, and yeah, so they force the animals to move. Yeah, yeah. But then you look at 
the other, the flip side, um, you look at beef feedlots, you look at intensively raised pork and chicken, they're trying to restrict the movement as much as possible. And if you restrict the movement of the animal, they don't develop that sort of connective tissue in the muscle, so it stays tender, but they don't expend any energy, right? So if they're not expending energy, then they're going to use that energy for something else, which is growing yeah, faster, I get it. faster, 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 bigger, 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 younger, yeah. younger, younger. Yeah. And um, it's at, always at the expense of flavor, unfortunately. Yeah. And then you, you've just changed porks, right? You've changed porks. Yeah. Look, so you, we, you we, we were buying for a long, we were working for a long time with Borodale, which uh, is pork from Southeast Queensland, Mark and Therese Ladner. They're great farmers up there, great farm. They do a great job. Yeah. But we had... One of our customers, I can't remember who it was, but one of our customers said, why don't you guys buy Victorian pork? I was like, fuck, good question. Like, mm. I haven't got a good answer for that. So we just launched a new brand and I was like, right, we're going to have a look around. And so dad and I went on a road trip. We went up to Queensland. We hired a like a camper van. He's driving. You've got your feet up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, giving him instructions. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we went around. We visited uh, Borodale. We visited Rosedale Ruby, who's our grain-fed beef uh, supplier. We visited the biggest beef feedlot in Australia. And uh, and we visited Byron Bay, which is like another sort of zoo, I guess. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I love Byron. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... Um, we also visited St. Bernard's, which Pop is... Popsu Nimbin, is it Nimbin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a quick detail. <laughs> Cookie, yeah. Um, so we also visited St. Bernard's, which is a free-range farm in, in Coral, which is near Albury. Because they've got vis- two farms, haven't they? Got yep, two? they've yeah. got two. Yeah, they've got two farms. We visited... Uh, who else? We? we visited Judy at Western Plains Pork. She's a great producer. We visited Valenka Pork. We we went to a lot of pork places to really get our head around what the fuck's going on with yeah. pork. Like, what's the deal? Who's where? Who's doing what? There's a lot of pork suppliers. Yeah, a yeah. lot of pork farmers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and and we used to we actually used to distribute the Greenvale Farm. Oh pork. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony and Amanda. Yeah, yeah beautiful. That, they had some great. They, yeah. they, I think they won. They don't do it anymore. I don't know even know what happened. Some of it happened. I have no idea. But they they won. I think gold medal for their prosciutto one year. They did an acorn fed Aco- prosciutto. Yeah, did acorn fed. I thought it was the closest thing to Spanish hamon. So. That- I'd ever try. When, when we first started this, yeah. I was buying all their excess fat. So ah. was, all our back fat was coming from them. Beautiful. So I had this fucking great thing going yeah, on. Yeah, you know, yeah, I had this yeah. acorn fed back yeah. fat going in. I that would was have like, been insane. It was so good because yeah. they had so much of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, unfortunately. Well, that's that breed, that Wessex Saddleback, they get thick fat. Exactly. And, and the customer doesn't really want all that's that. Right. So they need a way of getting rid of that. So I was just taking, you know, kilos and kilos, yeah, 20, yeah, yeah. you know, like boxes of it. So it was working super well for us. But then obviously, you know, yeah, yeah, all good yeah. things come to an right. end. But yeah, so we, we went around lots of different pork suppliers, really tried to get our head around what the issues are in the industry and, and what's going on. And one of the things that some Bernards were doing, you know, I sort of talked a bit about how they were using their free-range model as inspiration for their conventional pork production, which I thought was a really, really good example for how, you know, you as a chef, for example, if you're buying St. Bernard's pork, you're not just buying a brand, you're not just buying a free-range product, you're actually supporting a massive change in an industrialized industry. Mm. 
because you're demonstrating to this company that customers want this, you know, and that people value it. And you're helping support that pilot program, which is influencing the lives of literally hundreds of thousands of pigs and changing the whole industry across Australia. So I always try to, to say that to chefs, you know, like the, the decision you make is a really powerful one. And don't ever forget that. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to illustrate to you how powerful it can be sometimes. And St. Yeah. Bernard's is a great example where they're literally taking the walls off of these factory farms as a result of you buying that product. Yeah, that's fantastic. Go, that's unreal. So, yeah. but anyway, one of the other great things that they were doing, which really ticked a box for us, like the, the wind farm at Nichols, was they, um, they have a project where they've covered all of the, the waste lagoons, right? So all of the effluent, all the pig shit essentially goes into these lagoons and, and is used, there's a natural process to digest all of this effluent. They use bacteria. Digest it into the ground. No, no. So what happens is the bacteria digest the effluent and one of the products that they, the bacteria put off is methane. Right, yeah. So um, you you fix your effluent problem, you fix your pig shit, but now now you've you've just generated a a massive amount of methane. So they've covered these lagoons, and for a long time they were literally burning the methane. And a lot of companies do this when you have methane, you just flare it, and you turn it into carbon dioxide, and that's about thirty times less bad than just letting the methane go off. But what these guys did is they they they're building a, a generator which is powered by methane, right? So they're going to oh. capture that methane, power this generator. Because it ignites. Yeah, it's combustion. It's a yeah, gas. Yeah. Power this generator and that will provide the electricity for their abattoir. That's a sick idea. I just went, mate, like they're literally producing electricity from pig shit. Yeah, that's amazing. I was like, amazing. that is fucking brilliant. And one of the things they said to us, which, which really um, meant a lot to me, was when we went through this carbon neutral project, they sort of watched us go through it. And I asked them, yeah, I, they were one of the companies that I asked, would you help you know, us pay for some of these offsets? And they came back and they said, no. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was all going yeah, so well. Really, yeah, we're all good friends. But they said, but... Because of what you've done, we've decided that we're actually going to take the whole St. Bernard's program and make that carbon neutral. Mm. And I was like, well, fuck, that's awesome. You know, that's they wouldn't have done that if we hadn't have gone down that path ourselves. And and I thought, well, if they do that with St. Bernard's, they're going to get you hope that the same thing might happen with the rest of yeah, their company. Spread yeah, start Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's it's a great product. If if chefs can afford and people can afford to buy free range. They should, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be pork belly or pork rack um, with pork. You know, when when you're talking about free range, and this is a true across. If you're talking of any premium product, if you're any premium meat product, if you're a bit clever with the cut you use, definitely you can get it pretty cheap. Yeah, I did a I did a pull pork. I'm trying to do this a little bit more on Instagram, to be honest. But yeah. so I did a pull. I got. Um, I always support uh, Percy um, Bundara Berkshire. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, she, awesome product. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, it's it's up. It's fantastic. She's a good friend of ours. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just like. Yeah, I've seen your Instagram. The recipes. Yeah, and yeah, on the exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, awesome. I got one of her boxes. She does a box. Yeah. Shout out to Lauren, but she does a yeah. box like it's 150 bucks, and you get like some scotches. It's like a, it's a, it's a good it's a good deal. 
you know what I mean? It's an odd yeah, cheap, yeah. but it's a good deal. It's yeah. $150, but, you know, I like to do it. Um, not every week. I try and get a box from a different person all the, all the time. Yeah. Warham Under, um, Warry Elder. Is it Warry yeah, Elder? Yeah, Warry Elder. Got one of them yeah. coming next week. And just different boxes. Yeah. Just, to, you know, it's just share the love a little bit. It's yeah, nice. Totally. So anyway, I got this um, pork shoulder. You know, I can't remember how many kilos it was. It was on the storage, but it's not that big. It's, you know, it's that big. I don't know, however. And then, yeah. but we turned it into pulled pork. Yeah, beautiful. And that did... You know, that served me, Beck and Monty once, and then it did me, Beck, Monty, and Beck's dad. So, like, it, or it, it, the, the piece was, I think it was, like, $55 if you yeah. bought that on its own. Yeah. But you've got, like, what's that, what's that, six, seven, and, you know, I'm a big eater, so yeah. you've probably got eight portions out of that, which, is, you know, it's not it's that bad. it's fucking delicious. And it's unbelievable like, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's super tasty. It's ethical. It's all, yeah. you're supporting a local farmer. D d you know, it's endless. That's right. So like you say, I'm, I'm just reiterating what you're saying and backing what you're saying up. If you use the right cuts yeah. and, and use them well and teach yourself, you, you can get good value out of these pieces. And, that, and that's the, one of the hardest things. You know, This is where when you talk about carcass utilization for a, a bigger meat company like Cape Grimm and Robbins Island, you know, they, they have export markets. They can move all of the products around the yeah, world yeah, to where China it needs to go. Or India but when or, you yeah, go yeah. to a smaller producer like your Warrialda or your Bandara or or even some Bernards, you know that's still Australia only. Mm. Um, they've got a they've got to sell all the cuts. Yeah. And when you're a small producer, it's it's hard. So if you really want to help the small producer out, and I say this from experience because we used to do farmers markets. Yeah. Um, you know. Ask the farmer, what do you need to move? Yeah, what do you what want do you to get got? rid of? That's yeah. a great and then yeah. And then, you know, they'll quite often they'll give you a great um, example of, oh, you know, I've got these pork hocks or I've got, you know, pork shoulder or neck. And you sort of go, uh, uh. but if you read about some of these cuts and read about some of the recipes, they're unbelievable. Yeah, for the sure. Cuts, like they're delicious. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. The belly's like, like, like it's good, but there's yeah. so much well, more. Well, the out belly there. used to be that cut. Yeah, that's right. But then yeah. people educate themselves. <laughs> like lamb shanks. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's coming back round. Exactly. Yeah. Like you say, like a, you you can get a hock and 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 braise it yeah. and then then roast it and you get a big you know the Germans love that that's yeah. a classic German yeah, yeah, dish yeah. you know what I mean big yeah. hock. My friend of mine Tom Angus, he was on the podcast. I think he does a dish like that and then then deep fries it. Really? So like, yeah, then, and then you shred it up and you put it in pitters, like a pitter oh, style, gosh. which is like off the hock, which is a fantastic yeah. dish to do. You know, and the soups, and there's so many well, things and, 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 you can it, do. It's not, it's not, you know, there's so many different cuisine types. I mean, Lucy Lou in the city, that that's a sort of Asian fusion restaurant, and they pump through the pork hock. They do yeah. this sort of caramelized, you know, sweet, sticky pork hock, and it's, just blows your mind out yeah. yeah, that's I think as well, you know, there's so many people need to get on that education thing. Like you're trying to teach the from the farm to the chef, you're trying to teach that, mm. which you just did there. But then mm. I think from the chef also needs to try and teach the, the public a little bit more mm. how to cook. There's a lot of areas, mm. I think, where mm. we all need to share well, and that's, knowledge. That, that's the other thing that I always try and, and remind chefs because sometimes, you know, you're in a kitchen and and you're in your bubble. Yeah. You know? and, and I'm in a bubble. Everyone's in their own bubble on, on some level. But I try to remind chefs that you guys, the impact that your purchases have are far more reaching than you realize. Oh, because they and, see it on the menu. Is that what you're, what well, you're saying? Well, I, I, I give the St. Bernard's example as one where you're buying the St. Bernard's product. You're not just buying a kilo of pork. You're buying a, a product that is actually changing the face of the industry and you're supporting that change. 
So that that's the one thing, you know, you, you your purchase decisions as a chef for which supplies you use make a big difference and and make a big pe- difference to people's lives. You know, if you're if you're out there buying um, some Warrior Elder beef, that's actual people's lives that you are yeah, making yeah. possible. You're yeah. supporting their livelihoods. But the other thing is, you know, chefs are trendsetters. So before we go off, come out with some fucking avocado trend or whatever other trend there is. Not, I love avocados. I shouldn't yeah. say that. But whatever fancy trend it is, think about what that trend means and think about how all of these recipes and cuisine styles and trends start in a kitchen, essentially, mm. of a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And if we can, we should really be trying to promote trends and things that are positive, not just trendy. And yeah, sometimes yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that gets lost. You know, it's it's all about the trend and who's doing what and looking over your shoulder and this is cool, that's cool. But we can go a bit deeper, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. And then also Robin's Island Wagyu, I just want to add, what a, yeah. they've got some amazing, well, first of all, the product's amazing. You know, it's absolutely, it's, it's one of my favorites, if not, yeah. I like ranges as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, people get a little bit upset about that. Yeah. But I think I love that. Them two for me are my two favorite yeah. products, personally. And they, but they move the cattle, don't they? What's yeah. This? I mean, Tazzy, uh, and, you, you know, we mentioned this before the fo- the podcast, but Tazzy is this amazing food bowl. And I think uh, plenty of people in, on the mainland are just starting to wake up to this fact, you know, that yeah. Tazzy's has got this amazing... Uh, climate it's got this amazing purity to it it's one of the i think it's the only state in australia that doesn't have gmos right so they've it's banned there essentially um and it's sort of this little ecosystem within itself so there's really great produce down there the air's and, amazing, isn't it? Oh, and, and the, the cleanest air, air in the world. The world, right? yeah, yeah. So uh, Robin's Island started out, when we first started, that was a grass-fed Wagyu brand, 100% grass-fed. And it was fucking unbelievable. It was my favorite, still to this day, is basically my favorite when they yeah. were grass-fed. Um, but they had to transition to grain-fed because one of the problems they have, and this is, again, global markets, is the markets where they were selling their hind quarter cuts and their four quarter cuts didn't give a shit whether it was grass fed or grain fed this is the asian markets yeah all they wanted was marbling and when you're not grain feeding a wagyu animal you just don't really get that much marbling in those cuts yeah so they couldn't quite make it work but anyway they are now fed finished on grain in a feedlot which is a separate issue but the amazing part of the Robins Island Wagyu story is, I guess, the island, Robins Island, where mm. they're, they're bred and where they start out their lives and where they, they do eat the pastures for a long time. And when they come of age and they get ready to go to the feedlot, they, the, it, it's hard to describe. Like, you almost have to tell people, go online and watch the video yeah, because it, the video is just It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Cowboys and that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Like, so Robins Island is, is only, I guess, a kilometer, one and a half kilometers off the coast of Tassie, northwest Tassie. And at low tide, you can walk across the, the channel. For most of it, there's one section where you sort of have to swim. And 
that's how they get cattle off the island. Yeah. They they walk them across at low tide through the water. It's like a they're swimming sea in the bath. Aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They get to that bit where they have to literally swim across this yeah. sort of deep part of the channel. It's maybe the guys 50 on horses meters. and that keep them. And they have to do it on horseback yeah. because you can't take a motorbike through there. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the last sort of great. It would migrations the, one of the last great musters in Tasmania. I mean, there's still musters that happen around Australia on horseback, but in yeah. Tasmania you don't see it so much. And it's a great example. You know, when I tell people about this, I go, you know, this is literally on our doorstep in Melbourne. This amazing story. You don't see this anywhere else in the world. Yeah, it's amazing. Like to to get this sort of story, you've got to go to, you know, Normandy with the the salt marsh lamb or. And you might go to a little island in, in Japan where they have a, a special breed of wagyu yeah. on this one island or something. And they're keeping the traditions going, aren't they? And yeah, everyone like yeah, really yeah. like celebrates it. Look at yeah. them over there. Yeah. Like, well, it's only like fucking a few miles away. Yeah, it's yeah, happening that's right. here. It's literally around the corner. Yeah. I just think it's something that we should we should really celebrate. Definitely. And we actually, you know, Robin's Island, probably a year ago, I, uh, I watched a documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Steak Revolution. No, I haven't. You should definitely watch it. Everyone out there, watch it. Steak Revolution. I was introduced to it by Ash Hicks, who's the exec chef at the SB Hotel yep. now. And I watched this documentary, and it's basically this guy that goes around the world trying to find the best steak, right? That's his mission. And he goes everywhere. He goes to Japan. He goes to Peter Luger in New York. He goes to Argentina, Spain, England, France. I, th- I-, I think he actually skipped Australia, but <laughs> we'll forgive him that. But I won't, I won't sort of spoil the outcome of that documentary at, at which steak wins, but one of the steaks that he tries is a Galician steak from Spain. And Galicia is a, a region in Spain, and there's one producer there in particular who grows out his cattle to over 10 years of age. And that's quite common over there in Spain. And it's in complete contrast to, say, the United States, where it's all about getting them as young as you can, get them to full size, as young as you can, pump them with as much grain and hormones as you can, and we'll get them up and we'll make the most money. But in Spain and Galicia, they know that if you do things slowly, yeah, you yeah. get rewarded at the end. And so I was watching this this doco and I thought, fuck, we need to give that a try here. Like this is, we're a bit too Americanized as well. We're trying to do things quite young. And so I went to the guys at Robbins Island or to Greenham, the company that that process it and own the brand. I said, next time you, you process some of those old breeding cows, you know, that are 15, 20 years old, grade off some of the, the good ones and send them in to me and we'll see what they're like. And they were like, Oh, like for them, it's a pain in the ass. Like you got four hundred cattle a day going through. Yeah, and like, yeah. Oh, fuck. This, this and they're like, they're like, what do you want? It's gonna taste like shit. Like, what? They're old. They're just cracker cows. Why would we want to do this? And I said, look, just, just, just shut up, all right, for a second, and just do it, please. And I'll, we'll see what it's like, and we'll taste it together. And so they did it, and they sent it in, and we dry aged it for a month, and. Um, we we pre-sold it to just a few restaurants, and we went into one of the. I went into one of the restaurants with the guy from Greenham, which was Stokehouse, and we tried this this beef, and he fucking put it in his mouth and sat back and chewed it and ate it, and he just said, 
that is the best piece of meat I've ever had. Yeah. The like, old I dairy. stand corrected. Yeah, the old dairy cows and that now, aren't they? Rockpool are getting right on that. And yeah. now my mate in England, Tom as well, yep. they're getting right on the old dairy cows. Yeah, yeah. Age, yeah age, age is no barrier to quality. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you still have amazing quality beef and lamb and pork and the, that comes from age. The thing is with the... Um, Without we found that the dry aging process is really important to get yes. the texture. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it's a bit. It's an old totally. boot. You know yeah. what I mean. But when you put it through that a good dry aging process, um, yeah, it's the enzymes start yeah. breaking it down, and it's still more textural. We used to say textural at Rockpool. It's still a little bit more, a bit more chew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, for sure. Nevertheless, it, it, the flavor is phenomenal. But when you, you know, and I take wagyu as an example. If you eat some Japanese wagyu, I mean, it's amazing, but it's. It just it just falls away in your mouth like yeah. it's just mush and it's super super tender and silky and you kind of don't get to enjoy it for that long because it's yeah. just gone. And the reason for that is because the animals don't move much for most of their life, right? They're just in a shed being fed grain constantly. Whereas you look at the these grass fed and they're one hundred percent grass fed these breeding cows. Um, not even finished on no 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 because yeah. they're the breeding cows like why yeah, would yeah. you they're, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. once they're finished breeding they would send them off to the abattoir and see you later what would normally happen to that yeah it would just go into hamburgers yeah okay yeah. just get them in stuff be some fucking good hamburgers yeah. anyway so the difference with with those is that they've been moving around for 10 15 20 years and you get this depth of flavor and the connective tissue in the muscle builds up and then you get marbling that instead of being put on over you know, 100 or 200 or 300 days, it's been put on over 10 yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah, the rings yeah. on a tree, right? Yeah. And, um, but you're absolutely right. Like with these older animals, you need to age them. And there, there is a scientific process that happens whether you whether you dry age or wet age, wet age being in, the bag, in, in a vacuum-packed yeah. bag, um, the same process is happening, The the sort of, connective tissue in the meat is slowly breaking down to a point and it's most effective over 30 days um, you get the most increase or the biggest increase in tenderness once you let that meat rest for 30 days after slaughter and then it sort of tapers off it gets a little bit more tender after that but it yeah. really starts to taper off um, so you've absolutely got to do that with these older animals to get it to that point that it's you know relatively edible I guess yeah but the dryaging, I mean, yeah, you guys, Rockpool does a shitload of dryaging. Oh, there. And, so um, much. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's and a great process. It really is. Yeah. And it's, you know, I say it all the time, it's so much easier to cook with. Yeah, So right. much I, easier. Uh, why so do you say much. that? It doesn't overcook, like, it, it, on the resting side. You know, sometimes you take a steak and I think, look, this is, I don't know the science of this. I don't know any fucking science, to be honest. But the... Um, <laughs> The it for me working with both products over the years, the not the non dry aged stuff seems to rest over a lot easier. You've got yeah, to bring right. it. Re you need to cook it a lot more under, to, yeah. to, and it'll rest up through. Yeah, where right. the dry aged stuff will just it, it's because it has. I feel like it hasn't got as much moisture, like water yeah. effectively. Yeah, it's just the muscle and the fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To like you know you boil if you boil the water it almost like keeps cooking and steaming yeah, inside yeah. Do you know yeah. what i mean and it also it's a lot it's when you sometimes when you cook a steak roast a steak or roast a joint or cook a steak 
And you cut I it. You it's said quite roll. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And you cut it. It's, it's quite pale. It's a little yeah, bit more yeah, pale, yeah, yeah. where the dryest stuff stays really nice and yeah. red. Well, and it's denser. Like, denser, you know, exactly. When you're cutting yeah, the yeah. grain, you can feel it on your knife. Yeah. It's just a dense. I mean, dry aging. I guess for those that don't know, it's it's what was done before refrigeration was invented mm. and, and vacuum sealing it gets moldy. Was it gets yeah. like white, like a white mold. It's just, that, yeah. you know, it's instead of using a vacuum bag as your protection for the meat, um, you're using the outer layer of that meat, which will essentially dry up and look a bit like jerky. Yeah, like crusty black, as, yeah, crusty yeah. jerky. Looks like you're scabbed, doesn't it? On your yeah, knee yeah, when you're a kid. You don't want to eat that bit. Yeah, like, yeah. You, well, you can, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it. So you trim that bit off and then, but this process of letting the meat age for 30 days in nothing but its own, you know, with its own shell, that that meat is porous and it allows the moisture within that cut of meat to slowly be wicked away. Yeah. So in a proper dryage environment, like, you've, like is at Rockpool, you have to have very specific humidity Wind, so that, and as well, very specific yeah. airflow yeah. so that you're wicking away that, that moisture slowly. And when you do that, you find from day one, a piece of meat might be 10 kilos. On day 30, it might be eight kilos. Exactly. And that's how much. And then you've got to trim it. Then you've got to trim it, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of yeah, yeah. losses, yeah. but what you find, what obviously what you get is a, a steak that is much more concentrated in its flavor profile Definitely. because it's not as diluted by water. That's what used to annoy me with, with rock pulling up when people used to say, oh, you know, it's twice the price or whatever, the steaks are expensive. And like, you just have no idea what this goes through to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're holding a hundred grand worth of stock oh, for you to be able to have that. Nice, Do you yeah. know what I mean? To keep the circle. Just in case you come in and order yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> well, but and I still think that rock pull does it better than anyone. Amazing. Like, I... There's a lot of great The dedication to it as well. Yeah. The dedication to it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. just buying all that, having all that stock sat there from a business point of view yeah. and, you know, the yeah. whole thing and really not cutting any corners and yeah. and then trying to manage that to build it up. Glenn at Rockpool in... in, in um, He's a machine. Yeah, he, he does He's a great a job. Machine. Yeah, yeah, he he, I was it. on the phone with him this morning. He does it on his own, but... Yeah, he was on the phone with him this own. morning. He's like, mate, I've got three pallets of Cape Grim coming in. I said, fucking what? Yeah. That's more than me. What are you talking about? And you're going to cut that all yourself? He's like, yeah. Yeah, he does a like, lot. Right. Yeah, he's a beast. Good work. He's a beast. But you guys started off with lamb, right? Is that, you, yeah, like you say yeah, you started sorry. off with lamb. So what's this? It's a salt, salt marsh? Salt grass lamb. Salt grass lamb. Like the Normandy's a salt marsh lamb, is that right? Yeah, so I actually got the idea for this from Jacques Ramon, yeah. who's a, a, been a really great mentor um, over the years and a fucking a chef's chef, you know. Um, and he he told me one day that the lamb reminded him of uh, the lamb in Normandy, which is called... Um, they, the translation is roughly salt meadow lamb. Yeah. Literally, it's actually pre-salted lamb. It just doesn't sound as sexy. So salt meadow lamb. Get the meadow in there. Yeah, yeah. So and there's this beautiful uh, place in Normandy called Mont Saint Michel, which is this big monastery on this rock out in the ocean. You know, like a kilometre from the coast. And the tides there are huge. You know, like they can go up. I don't know, ten metres or five to ten metres. These tides. And so what you find is these marshes that are on the coast, which are but paddocks that lambs graze in 
what they found was that the lambs would go down at low tide and eat these salty marshes. Mm. I've had this lamb. Have you? Yeah, yeah, I've had this lamb. It's I amazing. still haven't had it. I still haven't had the experience. Yeah. Well, that, that's the idea that they go down, they eat these salty marshes or salty grasses and and they get a different flavor. And I thought, well, that sounds like a heap of shit. And so I looked into it and I actually found that there's a scientific reason behind it. And I kept... Everything was in fucking French when I was reading all this stuff. And <laughs> fucking I, French. I can't speak French. So I'm like, what is this? And there was this one word that kept coming up and Google couldn't translate it. And eventually I, I asked Jacques and he said, that, that word means iodine. Well, iodine. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So what happens is, I mean, iodine's a rare metal. We all need it yeah. to survive. Um, but it just happens to be found in slightly higher concentrations in the ocean than it is in the earth. And But when you're on the coast, there's this sort of interaction, right? So the, the water will impart extra iodine into the soil that will go into the, to the plant or whatever's growing there, and that flows through into the muscle of whatever's eating it. And iodine, um, the theory goes, I suppose, that it increases the umami flavor profile and the japanese in particular you know big on that big on seaweed and, yeah. and and seed things to boost umami and when i was reading this i was like oh fuck it actually might be something to this and so um they have it in in england as well and jacques just was so sure he's like your lamb tastes just like the normandy lamb like it's it's really really similar i was like well that must be what it is so we came up with the name saltgrass lamb and the reason for that was it sounds a bit better than iodine lamb, which sounds a bit weird. <laughs> Chemically, yeah. A bit, <laughs> yeah a bit, it sounds bit. a bit like some weird salt thing. Yeah, or, get um, it from the pharmacist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and the idea with saltgrass was in a word trying to explain to people or paint a picture of what the product is about. Yeah. So it is. It's it's one of those great products. It's It's... You're tasting the terroir of of where it's raised. What a great word, terroir. The what a yeah, great word. I, one day I'll be able to say it properly. <laughs> <laughs> terroir. Um, but you're literally tasting the provenance of that yeah, product yeah. and where it's from. And so, yeah, that's the lamb. Yeah. Uh, we've got to push on because I know you've got to go out, get out here, but there's a couple of things that I really want to talk yeah, about. Yeah. Is the 30 day cash flow thing. You guys, yeah. so you guys pay everyone that you use within 30 days. That's one of your. Yeah, look, one of the things that uh, one of the things that happened a few months ago, we were we were um, pitching for a big account with a corporate company. They're listed on the ASX, so they're a big company. And one of the non-negotiables was that they pay sixty days. That really pissed me off. I was like, really? Like it's you tough, guys isn't are it? huge. Tough. Yeah. You got plenty of cash and you're treating me like I'm your fucking bank. Why yeah. don't you go to the bank and get the money that you need so you can pay me faster? But then I thought, well, hang on. I can't throw stones from a, gl- a glass house. I better check our own homework and see how we're tracking. So yeah. I went to our accounts team. I go, guys, I-, I found this code online. It's called the Australian Suppliers Code. It's it's voluntary, but it basically is a, a code of practice to say that you pay all your small supplies and preferably all supplies in no more than 30 days. I said, I want to do this. Is there any, like, do we already do that, guys? Like, where are we at? 
And they pretty much came back and said, yeah, we're already, we're already doing that. Yeah. Like, well, that's good. So let's sign this code. I think there was one supplier that had 40-day terms or something. So we called them up and said, well, we'll pay you in 30. And they were like, Beautiful. Fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, we signed on to this 30-day uh, code. And there's plenty of our suppliers that we pay in 14 days and, and even seven days. Um, but I really wanted to do that so that eventually I could point to that with this big company and say, hey, guys, I think you need to look at this because... I think it's all right. Like, it's one of the a- aspects of our business that being a wholesaler, you know, you're giving out the credit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're relying on the, the whole thing. It's, and if you're only getting 14 from yours and getting 30 from them, it, you know, yeah, the yeah, cash yeah. flow thing. Yeah. It's really... it's People don't realise the importance of that cash flow and... People are asking like 30 days end a month and yeah. like, you know, 14 days end a month. It's, it's just greedy. Yeah. And look, it's, it's greedy. There's, there's some restaurants, I think it's hard to appreciate the impact it has when you don't run a wholesale business, a yeah. B2B business. Like yeah. when you're running a restaurant and you're getting paid on the night. Yeah. And you're sort of going, oh, I don't have to pay him for 30 days. That's great. Like I don't need to borrow as much from the bank or, Definitely. or whatever. But it does make a big difference, especially for smaller companies. And and when I say small, I mean like us, I mean like you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it makes a massive difference to what we do as a business and how viable we are. Um, and and look, there's some restaurants, you know, like Movita Group. A shout out to Movita Group. They are fucking phenomenal. Yeah. They're like seven days, 10 days, checks in the mail every time. Yeah, yeah. Forget about it. We have some, ama- yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have some amazing ones awesome. as well. Amazing. But then you get the other ones. Yeah, and exactly. You sort of have to decide are we going to, are we going to bankroll your business or are we just going to leave you be? Yeah. And no, it's sometimes true. Sometimes it's a tough it is. Call. And the, but you, can, you know what? You can, t- and fuck it, like they can hear if they listen, but some of the ones who pay right every time on the nose, are, you know what? The good people. You know, that, and they get the best the good deals people. as well. They like, get the, yeah, yeah, exactly. You and and you want to support them yeah. as much as they support you. You want it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, and the sleep easy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You're sleepy. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, fucking, oh, yeah, we'll pay you, we'll pay you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's coming next week. The check's in the post. You get the check. It's dated for two, another two weeks. Say, hey, what yeah. the fuck oh, is going God. on here? Yeah. Like, can you run your business or can't you? Nah, you know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. why am I supporting you? Like, yeah. I've got enough on my own plate than to support yeah, that's you. Right. It's, and it, it's a shame because, you know, at the end of the day, every year we have a certain number of bad debts, which is bad debts are where you write them off. You know, well, we're never going to see that money. We have a certain percentage. And we have to factor that into our budget. It's so ridiculous. We have to factor that into our margins. So everyone's paying the tax. For that idiot. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. that guy that doesn't pay his bills. It's and so it's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah. No, no. We cut people off now. We never used to. We used to be a bit tempted. Now it's like pff, not see just you later. Cut, see yeah, you later. Just it. cut you off. Yeah. And then like if they might be on like some some people start at thirty days and we're like, well then the you know, then it's they push it, push it, and it's like now we, we just say credit card or nothing. That's it. We just take your credit card. Yeah. And when the stuff goes, we just take the money. And if you don't want to yeah. use us, you don't use us. It's, yeah. You know, we'll just slimline, streamline it a bit as yeah. well. Like, well, I mean, our, our standard is 14 days. Yeah, um, that, and, that's what we work yeah, on and as well. It's, I mean, you know, we, we, we say 30 days with that supply code. I mean, the, there are a lot of our, our suppliers that we pay 14 days to seven days. So... If we can get 14 days from our customers, then we sort of keep our head above it's water. Bought, exactly. And it works. It's exactly. That's the same but, as us. You know, when you're talking 60 days, 
I mean, even some of the, the supermarkets, I think this was maybe a few years ago before they got pulled up on it. But they were like 90 days, 120 days. Which people like, people think, yeah, and that could be, you know, like how many orders do they get in that 90 yeah. days? They could end up earning you 100 grand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like, and you've still got to be buying the product and paying your, and yeah. they, they owe you 100 grand. And that means if they, as long as they stay with you, yeah. they're always going to owe you 100 grand. Yeah, that's right. Because it just takes yeah, over. Do you know what I mean? Ends. It never and ends. they've it's, always got you by the balls. Exactly. They owe you 100 grand. It's <laughs> yeah. just crazy. It is like early in our business... This is probably five years ago. Um, I learned a very expensive lesson. We had a, a distributor in New South Wales, and and you know I was probably 23, 24 at this point, and he was one of our biggest customers, and not around anymore. So yeah. none of the current guys yeah. that are up there. Um, but he, we got into a massive hole with him, and I was inexperienced. And just I kept just on sending kept, him product. Yeah, just thought, fuck, we're in too deep. We got to keep supporting him. Like, well, let's help <sighs> dig him out of it, mate. We ended up, uh, we ended up going for two hundred grand. Oh, fuck, hundred thousand dollars, and and he and he and he just went under or something. He ran over off. Greece yeah, or something. Yeah. Anyway, so we, um, it could have been for more, but. It was for two hundred thousand dollars, and you know, it almost sent us broke. Mm, at I bet the time. it did. So I swore to myself, like that's a fucking house deposit. That yeah, it's half a house. It's massive. Uh, it's like buying a Ferrari and just lighting on fire. Yeah. You just sort of go, what? <laughs> and how much? How, how much do you have to work to, yeah, get, to yeah, get? How that? long does it take? But I sort of, I swore to myself on that day. I said, I'm going to make this a valuable lesson. I, I. I have to get value for this $200,000 yeah, investment. I've done that. I've done things like that as well. Like, okay, right, how am I going to mentally get over this? Yeah. Like, how am I going to turn this into... Rationalize Yeah, this. right, like, yeah. okay, I've lost this money and at the end of the day, it's only this amount of money over the spread of my life and it's a lesson and it'll never happen again. If I did 50 grand five times, I'd be worse off. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just yeah, trying exactly. to like work and exactly. play it in my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's, uh, it's tough, you know, business. It, it, so I encourage... Everyone, if you can pay your bills early, pay them early, pay them on time. Don't, Definitely don't pay be on stingy. Time. Yeah, Doesn't we got a le- we got a message from a, a, an email, a lady that owes us a little bit of money and nothing crazy, literally nothing. I'm talking, I don't even know if she owes us a grand. It's a few quid, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. and, and she just sent a message saying, "Look, I'm having a really hard time. I'm really struggling." I haven't got the money to pay the bills. Da, 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 da. I'm getting a bank loan. I've sold my car. I've done this. Can you just keep supporting us? And I was like, you know what? That's different. I can. Yeah, I can keep supporting totally you. Do you know different. why? Because you've been honest. Yeah. You're not taking the piss. And, you know, you're trying your best. And if I lost that grant, if I would even support her for another grand, and if she like went under, I would probably be like, you know what? It is what it is. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Totally. It is what it is. Yeah. It is. I'm not just going to bail out on someone. Yeah. Do you know what no, I mean? That's, like, that's a totally... If they're upfront and honest and, you know, vulnerable about it, yeah. we'll back you to the hill. Yeah, no yeah, and problems. try and yeah, give yeah, you support yeah. and give, yeah. you, give you tastings we'll and, and put you on Instagram and try and yeah. we try and build you up. As, yeah, right. for but sure. But if, if it's bullshit excuses yeah, yeah. Oh, and run around. It, yeah, and, exactly, because you're putting the time and effort yeah. in to chase it up, emails, phone calls, and that's just costing you more and more money. That's right. But anyway, yeah, right, yeah. listen, I want to say one, one last thing before we finish off. How good some of the produce in, in Tasmania at the moment. Yeah. It's just amazing. I just want to say, because you said you're from Tasmania. Yeah, some yeah. of the produce, the cheese yeah. and, and the and the whiskey yeah. and out there, whatever, they're, they're really there cultivating is, and, some and amazing great, things. There's a great culture down there. Like it is. I'm it, semi-tempted to move there. I'm not going to, but a little bit. I was saying to Becky, I was like, <sighs> would you move to Tassie? And she's like, it just, 
you know, it just drags oh, me there. Mate, it's that, beautiful. That, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. It's 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 kind of I, I assume that it's a bit more like the UK. Definitely, 100%. it's a bit like the motherland. Yeah, down yeah, hundred percent. But the there's a culture down there, and it's quite. Um, I think colloquial is a term, you know, where they, they really like to support their own, their own yeah. sort of producers. And you can go into even a shitty little cafe and they'll be, you know, the cheeses from here, the butters from there, the meats from here, the raspberries are from the cherries, the apples. Amazing. And the, they're fiercely, you know, loyal to their own um, supporters. So it's a... It's a great area. I encourage anyone to get, and there's some great restaurants popping Amazing. up. Amazing, Greenery Kitchen. You know, yeah, yeah. Annalisa really- just moved out there. Yeah, she just yeah. bought a house, and I think she's going to make a cheesery. I think or something. She, awesome. She's mental. Yeah. She just goes hard at anything. She, yeah. yeah, and she'll be doing the. Won't be long. She'll be doing the best cheese in Australia. Won't be. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, she's really got on it. Bruni Island um, down there, and they do the that raw milk. C2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, my favorite cheese is. A French cheese, it's Comte, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but it's just it gets me for yeah, whatever yeah. reason. And I had their C2, and I was like, well, fuck, that is the closest thing to a yeah. really, really good French cheddar or, or hard cheese I've yeah. had in Australia. It's beautiful, definitely. Yeah, well, listen, to finish off, some quick questions chicken stuffing sandwich or a ham sandwich? Oh, you start with a hard question, <laughs> go to the chicken sanger, chicken, yeah. Peter uh, Rowland, they do a good chicken singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, bunning sausage sizzle or avocado on toast? A bunning sausage sizzle. Yeah, do you like the bunnings? I love them. I did, but I went to one a few weeks ago and I tell you what, I don't know, they must have got some dodgy sausages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go the avocado oh, on toast. Good I, on you. I've got to get some good fats. Fuck, I you know? love that. I love them. <laughs> Every time I go, man, I like, try not to and I just get one. Yeah, they They're are. They're so, my son loves them. Every, yeah, anyway. Yeah, anyway. Um, Carlton Draft or a, or a local IPA? Oh, mate, I can't drink Carlton Draft anymore. So IPA. I used to be hooked to my veins in high school and, and, and afterwards, but, yeah, the old man still drinks VB. Yeah. And I just sort of look at him with this look of disgust. When he opens a can, I go, oh, fuck, <laughs> I can smell it. No, I love the local the craft brewery yeah, scene. It's, it's awesome. Support the local brewers. Um, Dancing with the Stars or Gogglebox? Gogglebox. Every day. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the one I've really enjoyed lately is Travel Guides. Oh, it's Can mint. I? It's so good. So good. It's Amazing. The, the perspectives of yeah. all the different families. Yeah, hilarious yeah, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That family, like the... Uh, the overweight family, Let's, you know, you know who they are. You know, I don't know. You know, the, the dad's a bit they're brilliant. The dad looks like he shouldn't really be with a mum to be thinking. You know, yeah, they don't, you know, yeah. it's fu- they're funny. They are a fucking funny oh, bunch. Hilarious. Then two sisters. Yeah, yeah, it's Always good. It. That's my little. After I am forced to watch Married at First Sight with the wife. <laughs> That's my little pay payback yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to watch good that. One. Anyway. anyway, James, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. Great to chat. Take it easy. Well, if you got this far, you must have semi-enjoyed it. So thanks for listening. I hope you did enjoy it. And it wasn't just in your car being played and you just couldn't be asked changing the channel. So yeah, appreciate it. No, if you did enjoy it, tell a friend. And if you get chance, leave a review. Like I always say, I definitely wouldn't leave a review because I'm a lazy fucker and it's not my style to leave reviews like that. But what I would do is give a five star or a three star or a two star. But if you're feeling semi-generous and you got a tiny bit of interest out of this and you thought, you know what, that wasn't bad. Wasn't bad for someone who hasn't got a fucking clue what they're doing. I'll give that brother a five star. If you do that, I'll be stoked. Thanks very much. Till next week. Have a good one.